M and K Talk YA now presents Midnight Star Part 2, a Young Elites novel by Marie Lu. Welcome back to MNK Talk YA. I'm Marissa Snyder. And I'm Katie Bradford. And this is our Young Adult Fiction Podcast. And we have finished our second series. Yay! I'm really impressed with us. <laughs> I am too. I am too. And it was such a sad ending. Oh my goodness. I loved it. But you know, I always like when things don't end happily ever after. So. <laughs> and Well, this one, I mean, it was like... Kind of worked out, kind of didn't. I felt like it was very, like, poetic. You know what I mean? Like, it it was an appropriate ending given everything that happened. It was also satisfying. Yeah. You know? Like, you knew, like, based on everything that happened, it was not going to work out perfectly for her. Because that just would not stay consistent with the rest of the book at all. And I'm still really impressed with her. I still felt like it was a really big character growth to... You know, I mean, we saw her have the realization, I think it was last time we talked, um, where she was like, I don't want to die. And to mm-hmm. see her actually realize that there was something more important than her own life, I think, was really beautiful. Especially given that she had already she was already free from the voices. Yeah, because at that point she had given up her gift and she knew that she could live happily with Maggiano. Okay, but I have some other questions about her giving up her gift. And I don't okay. know if this is the appropriate time or if we'll get into it later, but... As always, let's just skip right to the end. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so, you know, we talked about it last time. We left behind the architect and we left behind Sergio, the Rainmaker, Stormmaker. I always forget his mm-hmm. elite name. Rainmaker. And so they didn't have to, like, go to the underworld and offer up their gifts, but they also lost their power, right? Oh, that's a good point. And slash, there there are probably other, I still don't buy it that between those two groups, they found every single young elite because they were still finding people later on. You know what I mean? Like there's... So did every young elite lose their powers when the 12 sacrificed theirs? And they weren't even 12. It ultimately ended up being what, like four of them who went through with it? Oh, that's so true. So, yeah. And the fact that it could be like, oh, people who already died. So Enzo had already died. I don't, we don't know if any, if any other young elites had died, but like... So he was already in the underworld. I don't know. I just had some questions about how that all worked, but I didn't question <laughs> it too hard because I just was like loving, I was loving it. That, that's like what's so great about these books. Like there's, there's a lot that doesn't really make sense or add up, but I am completely willing to suspend my disbelief throughout all of it just because the plot is so good. The characters so good, are so good. I like forgive her for all the little pieces that don't quite make sense and I think actually that's a really mark a good mark of a good author yeah and I also think it's not it's not that it makes so little sense it's just like I need more explanation to really buy it yeah but because yeah there's books are really short and there's still so much that happened in them to your point I was willing to accept that even though I don't know all the details of how it worked out that's how it worked yes I agree I man I was I I did feel bad, though, because I think you're right where it was like a very 
redemptive moment for Adelina where she knew that she could never live with herself if she left her sister in the underworld. And she kind of thought that by sacrificing herself, she could atone for all of the lives she killed. But at the same time, like her choice punished Maggiano too, who didn't deserve any of it. Like he's doomed to spend the rest of his life chasing after a star for five hours with her. Her sister still died like a natural death. It wasn't act- it wasn't like she did some it wasn't like she died at her hand because of the voices or it wasn't like you know, I mean it was a sad death, but yeah. it wasn't like Adelina really caused it. Agreed. And she still felt so responsible for it, which doesn't really make sense to me. Well, and then it goes to the whole thing, like, of all the people who... Because they all passed all their loved ones and everyone else who had died in the underworld, and she was the only one willing to, like... Like, I'm surprised... You know, why didn't Maggiano see the Joy Girl or whatever, you know, whoever the oh, other... Because yeah. um, that's where we started this half of the book was with his flashbacks. Um, you know, he probably passed her or Raphael, Raphael passed... Um, Enzo probably and Maeve yeah. passed Tristan. You know, like they all had people who and no one thought to. They could have. But, I don't know. But none of them had so much to atone for. You know. I. I mean, I agree. Yeah. That was nuts at the end when she sees all the bodies hanging in the underworld, and she realizes that her the whispers she's been hearing were the voices of the people she's killed. Just. Growing stronger and stronger in number. But were they... I mean, that's why the strength was growing, but they weren't really the voices of the people she killed necessarily, were they? Because they wouldn't... Yeah. Because they were all... I mean, to some extent, I think we heard her dad, but I don't think some of those people that she killed would have been saying the things she said, or they the voices said. Oh, yeah. But that I don't know. That's what it said in the book. Like, I still think it was her losing her mind and applying it. Or I think it was just another way she was losing her mind that she saw all those dead bodies. Oh, maybe, yeah. Ugh. It was a great scene when they go... They really do like the... Um, what was that word that you learned? Cata- catabasis? Oh, yeah, Where yeah, they yeah. have to go into the underworld. Yep. They, I mean, that was mirrored it exactly. Yeah, that was really cool. And the underworld is so scary. And it was oh kind of cool that they didn't all make it. Like, Violetta, I felt like, was just kind of timing, but... Taryn sacrificing himself for them. I thought that was like a really powerful moment too. That was great. And it felt very true to character. Because, I mean, yeah. And it's nice that each of the characters who we kind of see an evilness to them, they all have these very redemptive moments. Like, because when he um, saves, who was it? I think he saves Raffaele from the creatures, those crazy creatures. I mean, he saves all of them really, but... Um, there was a moment where he steps in front and purposely saves Raffaele, who we know he has held a huge grudge against yep. ever since book two. At that moment, they knew that not all of them had to be alive in order to achieve their goals, so he didn't have to do that. And I thought that was like a huge moment for him. Although, also, I would have been really interested, although we didn't really see a ton of what happened to them after they came out of it, But his whole life was, once he was um, marked, was about, you know, I'm, I have to make it up. I have to atone for my sins. Like, this is a punishment from the gods, yada, yada, yada. It would have been interesting to see him come out of it on the other side and see Mm -hmm. how he dealt with being, like, normal again. Yeah. And who he might have become. Yeah. Like, with all the stuff he went through and all the, like, kind of crazy, zealous, like, beliefs he had about who he was and what his purpose was, 
in some ways he needed to die for him to have a purpose in life because if he had come out on the other side even if he had like cured that problem he thought he saw like I, I don't know what his life would have been like I know I know and I really loved his backstory when you see um kind of why he became the way he was how he blamed his himself for his father's death because of the blood fever and how I mean, I think in a way his power really informed who he became because he had that moment in his flashback where he remembers trying to kill himself but couldn't do it because of his power. And if you believe yourself to be immortal, like it would be hard to not believe that you were put on the earth for a reason. And his reason was to eliminate the world of these um, malfectos. Yeah, and can you imagine having that belief, like believing that you were cursed and caused all of this, you know, or like no. was, were contributed to all this negative stuff going on in the world, but then also having to deal with it? <laughs> no, I mean, it's, I, said, I think I said in the beginning that like he was so full of self-loathing and I mean, it, now that we know his backstory, I think it, that holds up completely. Like he just hates himself and it manifests in this really violent, violent way against other people. Yeah. Wait, I'm forgetting now. Did we see Maeve's flashbacks? No, we didn't get any more of Maeve. We just get, finally, someone has a happy ending. Yeah, that's true. I really liked that she was able to marry Lucent. Although I I got really irrationally angry because I was on the L when I was reading this and I skipped over the part where she said that she was still going to rule, but she just passed on secession to her niece. I thought that she, like, abdicated and, like, oh. let her niece rule. And I was like, what are you doing? Like, you can't give up your throne for a girl that you love. Like, what is wrong with you? Wait, and so like, did Violetta take over Adelina's throne? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because that also seemed, like, do you think she gave back some of the lands? Or do you think, like, it just, oh, you know? Probably. Because I think she was a very different ruler than Adelina, but it almost seemed like it. I almost that was one of the hardest character things for me to buy that she could be a ruler like that at all. Well, yes, I agree because I don't think she's. I don't know if she's like tough enough to be a ruler. Maybe that sounds bad, but she has um, Sergio and Raffaele as her advisors, and they're both. Yeah, that's true. Pretty tough. <laughs> yeah, I felt bad for Maggiano. Gosh, I know, and like. I felt better because at first I read it that she only would come back once a year because that's what... Oh, no, the legend that she takes it off of, um, like, Campassi and the Swan. Mm-hmm. It's every night. And at first I thought it was every year, and I was like, that is the worst deal I've ever heard of. But now that I know it's every night, it's a little bit better. But still, it's like from midnight to 5 a.m. That's the only time they get to spend together. They can't... You can't have a life like that. Yeah. You can't go out to brunch. You can't do anything. You can't have a life. So he's going to be never able... You can't even watch, like, all of the Lord of the Rings. You know what I mean? Like... <laughs> the whole... All three of them? Yeah. No. You, can... you can't have a Harry Potter marathon. <laughs> what is life... Is life worth living without being able to do a Harry Potter marathon? Although, compared to being dead... Although, in some ways, it's almost worse because it's kind of like they're there enough. Like, you can't really move past it. <laughs> you can never move on. Yeah. Although I did think of a new name for them. I think they should be called Magellina. <laughs> oh, I like that. Wait, no, I was trying to think of a name for, like, instead of the mediocre, um, what did you call them? The, <laughs> the middle-aged, the middle-aged mediocres. mediocres. I was trying to... <laughs> What's our fan name? <laughs> I was trying to look at other fan names and get ideas. 
Because there isn't one online. I looked for it. There isn't one. And a lot of them, like, combine the word, like, nerd or something. So I was like, the Dagger Society and nerd, like, we could be the Daggers. And I was like, that sounds stupid. And then I was like, something with the marked. <laughs> and then um, I think I actually texted you about that one. What was your first the one? The Daggers? Like, Dag Nerds? No, your marked, your first marked one. Oh, well, I just said we should say something about the marked. Or I don't even remember what I said. I probably did say something to start, but I, I don't remember what it was. The marked manic. Oh yeah, I'm I'm right. Or the marked. Was it the marked? The marked deficient or something? Or I don't marked know. Marked maniacs. <laughs> we and then I said we're going to yeah. be the bookmarks. And then I was thinking about if we're Adelina fans, we could just be like the wolf pack. <laughs> oh my god! I really like that. <laughs> I thought you might like that one because that's what. Isn't that what um, Taylor Swift calls her? Friends, the wolf pack. Does she? I should know this, but I don't. I feel like it's like something squad, isn't it? Or maybe it's not. Oh, maybe. But I do like the wolf pack. Oh my, but I, okay, we're the wolf pack. Done. But then it was kind of hard because I was like, are people really Adelina fans? <laughs> and then I, mean, I had this. I think, all of, I think all of us have a little bit of Adelina inside us. Oh, for sure. That's fair enough. Except hopefully we also have um, Violettas and Magianos in our life to help balance us out. Yeah, that's true. Um, did you think of our Young Elite names for this week? I tried. I didn't come up with anything really good. You didn't come up with I anything? I mean, I came up with some stuff, but they just weren't really good. I'm not like... Well, give me your best one. I was supposed to come up with something for you, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So I was thinking about what your power would be and powers that we don't have. And I, I, I think you said you aligned with wisdom and time when you took that one quiz, right? Yeah. And you also are really good at coming up with our descriptions. So the first idea I had had something to do with like the wordsmith or something like that. Oh, can I, I like that. <laughs> Cause I'm a writer in real life. But then I was thinking about like, what would be your power then? And then I was thinking about time and I was like, we didn't have anyone with like any time travel or time pausing or like anything like that. And so then I was playing around with things that had like hourglass in the name or like temporal <laughs> something. Or I think... Because of my hourglass figure. <laughs> Just kidding. I have zero curves. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know. So I didn't have anything good. I was like the temporal hourglass. <laughs> and like nothing that really... So the wordsmith is the best name I came up with, but I didn't have a good power with that. So then I was thinking about something related to time and I didn't come up with a really good name. I came up with half, half a good name. Oh, the ticking shadow. I don't know what that Ooh. meant, but I like that one. That sounds like I'm very dangerous, like a bomb, like I'm going to go, like, explode at any minute. <laughs> well, it sounds like you don't want to get on your bad side. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, that's true, too. <laughs> I, all right, I'm going to go with the wordsmith, okay. and um, my superpower is... But then I was thinking, some of their names don't actually have to do with their power, just their skill. So you could still be the wordsmith, but have, like, time manipulation as your elite power. Oh, can I be like Hermione and have the That's exactly what I was Turner? thinking of. I actually would like that a lot. I was looking up just like other superpowers, and one of the coolest ones I saw that I hadn't thought about was self-multiplication. <laughs> oh, oh, so you'd never have FOMO again, Katie. <laughs> I could just be in multiple places at once. <laughs> I would love to do... I think about that all the time. I'm not even kidding. Like, I... I fantasize about having a clone and like one of my clones will go to work. One of my clones will work on the podcast. One will just lay in the park and read books. Yeah. One except, will stay home with Banjo. Except I think I just imagine it like I get to live each day like five times. Because for some reason clones. Oh, see, that sounds tiring. I, yeah, that's true. It does. 
Anyways, what did you come up with for me? Oh, okay. So, um, your young elite name is the Bibliomaniac. <laughs> I <and> love it. <laughs> your superpower is you have the ability to shrink books into very, very tiny, tiny microscopic sizes so you can store billions and billions of books. And then whenever you want one, you can bring it back to real, real life size. That is a really good skill, and I need that. I would probably, even if they were microscopic, still have a back problem with all the books I'd want to carry around with me. That would be impressive. <laughs> but, yeah, that's what I that's what I thought of for you. I like it. Okay, so let's be young elites. Let's be the wolf pack. And... I'm... I'm with you. <laughs> We've got, and you can just write books for me as the wordsmith. That's true. Oh gosh, can I really wish this was real life right now? <laughs> did you do any? Um, did you do any research this week? I did a little bit. So okay, because of how it ended, I um, was thinking a lot about constellations and the stories around them. And then I was thinking about zodiac signs and how, even though I read my horoscope sometimes. I actually don't know that much about, like, what – I'm a Capricorn – what, like, oh. where that legend came from. So then I was reading okay. about um, the story of the Capricorn constellation and, like, you know, why it's a goat fish thing. Oh, um, I love it. I love horoscopes and the Zodiac, so <laughs> I'm very interested. I read a couple of things that I just thought were pretty boring, and then I found this one story, which I'm not sure how real it is compared to the others, but it was basically, like – Okay, so the Capricorn, if you don't know, the top of it or whatever is a goat and the bottom is a fish. So it's called Mm -hmm. a sea goat, which is not a real (laughs) thing in the world anymore. So the story behind it here that um, they said was uh, the real story but not as popular is that there was originally a sea goat called Pricus, and he was the father of all the sea goats in the world. And they were supposed to be really smart and honorable sea creatures that lived near the shore and they could speak and they could think and they were like had a really good relationship with the gods. And for some reason, Pricus was connected to Kronos, who's the Greek god of time. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe Kronos created him or something. So he can also manipulate time. Pricus can. So the legend says um, all of his children would kind of wander onto shore and they enjoyed it. Um, they like kept being drawn to shore. So even though they were like a creature of the ocean, they kept going onto shore. And because they could get up there with their front legs, um, they would just kind of lay in the sun and Sounds like a nice relax. Life. And they started becoming regular goats. And when they became regular goats and they lost their fishtails, they also lost their like ability to speak and their ability to like think well and their relationship oh. with the gods and all of that. So they be- became goats as we know them today. Oh, and okay. their their dad became really upset because, you know, he wanted his children to, you know, stay with be, him. Yeah, and be like these smart, honorable creatures of the sea. So he and he has the ability to manipulate time. So he kept like me. Yeah. <laughs> so after he lost a lot of his children onto the land, he started using his ability to reverse time and force his children back into the sea. And then he would do everything he could to try to keep them there. But they kept returning to land, and he was never affected by the time shift, so he could manipulate it, but he kept, like, basically, he would warn them, he would forbid them, he would do everything he could, but no matter what, they kept finding their way onto land over and over and over again, no matter how many times he, like, went back in time. So finally, he has this moment where he realized he can't 
kind of control the kids. Their destiny is calling <laughs> to them on land. They're teenagers. Yeah. So no matter how many times, so he he decides to no longer reverse time, and he just lets them live their lives. But he was really really sad, and begs Kronos to let him die, because he like doesn't want to be the only sea goat left in the world and know that his mm-hmm. kids have given this all up. So Kronos instead keeps him immortal, but he puts him into the sky as the constellation Capricorn, so that he can see his children no matter where they are on the world. So that's the story of Capricorn that I thought was way better than the other story I read, which was something stupid I don't remember. So you're a child of the seagoat. I'm a child of the seagoat, the mythical creature that no longer exists because they were all dumb and went to land. So I need to go, and I'm very drawn to the ocean, so this makes a lot of sense. And also I know that um, goats in real life can't be alone. Like if you keep goats, you have to have more than one because... They get really, really lonely by by themselves. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. My sister, she um, started a school down in Haiti, and they just got, like, some goats donated for the school to help Aww. raise, and they had their first baby goat born, and she named it Beyonce. <laughs> That's oh my fun my fact God. for you. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. My, my sister would name a baby goat in Haiti Beyonce, but, you know, that's her. Do you ever watch the show Please Like Me? No. What is it? It's an Australian comedy show, and it's hilarious, but there's one point where they get chickens, and they name, they have three chickens, and they name them Shakira, Beyonce, and Adele. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. So that just reminded me of that. <laughs> oh, that I'm, that's really cool that you research constellations. I'm a Leo, but I don't know the story behind that at all. So I actually looked up Leo, too, because I know your birthday. Yeah. Oh my god, you're such a good friend. And I looked it up on the same website where I found the one I liked about Capricorn. So again, I'm not, you know, I just, I kind of fished around for what story I like for myself. But um, it's based, there's kind of like some confusion about it, but it's based off of, they think, um, Hercules' trials. One of his first trials was killing the Nemean lion, who was Mm -hmm. a really large lion that had impenetrable skin. Um, And how he eventually killed him was he kind of like trapped him in a cave stunned him with a club, killed it, but he couldn't, it was still impenetrable even though he was dead. So the only way he could cut it open was using the lion's own claws. So eventually he does that. So even though they think that's where the lion for Leo came from, it doesn't quite make sense why it would have gone into a constellation. So this guy who I'm, whose website I read basically had a theory about it because they say either Zeus or Hera did it. Um, but he thinks it was Hera because she actually... Uh, created most of the great monsters in Greek legend. So she was the one who first, um, who created the lion's father. And some legends say that she nursed him and all of this stuff. But there's also a theory that when she was angry at Zeus, she sent um, the lion to live where this big shrine to Zeus was so that no one could actually reach it and worship him. So they think that she took pity on the creature or felt guilty or whatever, that he was hunted and killed. Um, And so she allowed him to live among the stars next to Selene, who's the moon goddess. And I don't know much about her. Oh, no, Selene was the one who nursed the lion when he was a baby lion, I guess. I like it. I would like to think that we have Hera on our side. I had to pick a goddess. Yeah, and it also says that it's really connected to the sun. Like, everything you hear about Leo, yeah. it's very connected to the sun, and it represents those born in the summer, and it um, lines up with the summer solstice and things like that. Um, and then I also was reading a little bit about how constellations and stars are used now. 
So obviously, at one point, they thought it was like a sign from the gods. It was their way of like telling stories and like communicating with people. That's how a lot of the constellations came about. But then later, they used them for navigation and things like that. Um, Mm -hmm. But they still have a practical purpose today because of how stars are named. They're often based on their constellation, and then they're named based off the Greek alphabet. Oh, like they just go in order of the Greek alphabet? Yeah, so the brightest star in the Taurus constellation is the Alpha Tau star, and then like the dimmest star, if there were however many letters there are, would be... um, or, you know, the second one would be beta something, or mm-hmm. it's based off the Greek letters from brightest star to dimmest star. So I thought that was kind of cool. Oh, that is cool. But that's really all I did. There's there's a lot, like, there's a lot I could have about constellations. kept going with this, but I stopped there. <laughs> I wish that they would actually, if they had to name it another star, I wish they would name it um, after the one in the book. Like the, after Adelina, the oh, when yeah. she gets made into, what did they, did she it's just one star that she's made into, right? I don't know. I was kind of confused by that, too. I mean, they call it, the book's called The Midnight Star, so that made me think it was just one star. Yeah. And he waits for it to, like, appear every night. Yeah. But I also felt like that was, I feel like it should have been a constellation. I don't really yeah, know. Yeah, it should be a wolf constellation. And I wonder what she does in between. Like, when she's a star, what, does she, like, think about stuff? Or does she, like... Can she see things? I don't know. I was just kind of curious about that. But it's also kind of cool. Can you imagine, like, being a person around then and, like, all of a sudden a new constellation appears and this, like, crazy queen is gone and, like, I don't know. It's just, it's kind of cool the way it's, like, so much legend and myth is built into the story as well. I agree. I also learned that, um, so there's 12 gods in the story and there's 12 gods of Olympus, too. And I liked that that matched up. Oh, that is cool. Yeah, what did you research this week? I researched human sacrifice. (laughs) Oh, good. (laughs) I tried to keep it. I know last week I went too dark, so I was trying to keep it relatively. (laughs) As long as we both don't go too dark, that's good, right? (laughs) Well, I went dark because I was looking back through our podcast, and there has been nothing cheerful about the research we've done (laughs) in the past five books. We've done, like... Being buried alive, we did dungeons, we sex slavery, auto like we did. It's just been one big bummer after another. So I was like, why stop now? I'm just gonna commit, and we'll at least be consistent. We're either gonna run out of horrific things to share, which will take a long time, or we'll have to pick some really cheery storyline and see how we do with that. <laughs> like puppies. <laughs> But even that will be like, dogs die sooner than people. <laughs> Toby sounds like he's going crazy. <laughs> Your puppy's already middle-aged. <laughs> um, okay, yeah, so I researched human sacrifice because of Maggiano's backstory, which we got. Yeah, okay. Um, which was horrific. Um, so he was lived with these priests and then he was gonna escape with joy who you mentioned and then she was sacrificed at age 12 which is also the number of the gods so it's a sacred number also but, what are the odds that it was like the day they were escaping she was the one who planned the escape and then they went after her first and he ran yeah. away yeah oh man i'm surprised he could be so joyous bad luck after that yeah i know but i love that that he like kept joy with him always and that was why he was such a positive person no i mean it was very impressive it it proves that adelina had other things going on because people can come out of horrific backgrounds and be 
not terrible people to everyone they meet. Yes. And that also reminded me, um, because I love book dedications, and mm-hmm. so I, I was rereading the dedication of The Midnight Star, and it was um, to those who, in spite of everything, still choose goodness. Yeah, that is good. And I, I love that. It was a really good dedication. At some point, we should come up with how, what we would, who we would dedicate our book to. Oh. That can be a future podcast topic. I feel like if you don't do your parents for your first book, then you're... Okay, fine. And it can be for our third book. What, who would we de- dedicate our third book to after we've acknowledged all the appropriate people? I'll dedicate mine to the bibliomaniac. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Human sacrifice. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> so. Tell me more. So, um, there's a lot of stories about human sacrifice. I mean, from the Bible, there's so many. I mean, it's like a very common thing. Um, but the one that I found most interesting was uh, a tradition in that was practiced in Japan. So... You know, I, I did my Japanese courtesan, so I thought it would stay consistent. Sounds good. And, Appropriate. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so there was a practice in Japan that was called Hirubashira, and it literally means human pillar. And according to this uh, mode of human sacrifice, people were buried alive under or around buildings, like uh, dams or bridges or castles. And they were sacrificed to the gods so that the structures would not be damaged by natural disasters, like floods or earthquakes. So that- Wait, didn't we read something when we were doing the London, or when I looked at the London Bridge yeah. thing? That's what I just mm-hmm. thought of. Okay. That was an example of Hirobashira, where they would sacrifice children by the London Bridge to keep it safe from, as like a safeguard against disasters. How do they pick people for that? Well, okay, I will tell you a story okay in japan um there was a castle that was being built called um maruoka castle and when it was being built the walls kept collapsing in on themselves and so someone suggested that they make a human sacrifice or go to architecture school yeah or just get better bricks (laughs) i don't know um her name was oshizu and she was a local woman and they selected her to be this human sacrifice and she agreed, but uh, she agreed on the condition that her son would be made a samurai after she made this sacrifice. And after they sacrificed her, they did not make good on their promise. And so every year um, during spring, the castle moat would overflow from the spring rains. And it was always during the season when they harvested algae. Hmm. And so they called the rain um, the tears of Oshizu's sorrow. And they thought it was her, um, you know, cursing them for not making good on their promise. Yeah. Yeah. Can you imagine making a death promise and having it not be upheld? I mean, I would be dead, so I probably wouldn't care. (laughs) I would haunt those people (laughs) faux show. Oh, I would do the same. Or I I would, I don't know. I would just turn the lights on and off. So is it like an honor (laughs) at all to be selected? Or how did, like, I still feel like... It's such an interesting, like, even with the kids at London Bridge, like, how are they like, you know what, your kid seems like a good choice, your three-year-old, I think we should bury him next to this bridge. Like, how did, well, how is that okay? Yeah, and honestly, well, and the kids didn't have much say in it, but also, like, they were, um, I think in, in a lot of cases, in other cases that I read, they were war, um, war, crim- not war criminals, war captives. Okay. So... So they really didn't have a choice. They were basically prisoners, POWs or whatever. 
Exactly. Um, the other, so the other example I read about was, um, I mean, human human sacrifice is pretty common in um, like Mesoamerican cultures, like the Aztecs and the Mayans. So the one that I read about was in Aztec culture. Every year they would sacrifice um, a young man to the most powerful god that they worshipped, whose name was Tezcatlipoca. That's not right. What was Tezcat- that? <laughs> Bless you. What did you say? Sorry, it's a long word, and there's lots of syllables. Okay. Um, Tezcatlipoca. I actually listened to a video on how to pronounce it during my lunch hour today, and I still butchered it. That was smart. I can't pronounce anything as well. <laughs> but he was the god of um, sorcery and destiny. And every year they would select a youth. A ute. A what? <laughs> if you watch. Have you ever seen My Cousin Vinny? I can't hear what you're saying. What? (laughs) Never mind. It was a bad joke. Okay. So they would select a youth, a young man, who was normally a war captive, to impersonate Tezcatlipoca for a year. And for an entire year, he would be treated as like a living incarnation of this god representing him on earth. And so during the year, he was given four beautiful women as his companions, and he was dressed in fine clothing and jewelry. And every day he would parade through the streets playing his flute. Hmm. And then on the day that he was to be sacrificed, after a year, they would hold a feast in the gods' honor. And afterwards, this young man would climb to the top of the pyramid and he would break his flute on the steps. And then he would surrender his body to the priests. And then they would kill him in a very brutal way that I won't mention. (laughs) Well, now I need to know. Oh, you can look it up. (laughs) (sighs) Okay. Well... That's actually if you're gonna if you're gonna be a human sacrifice, that's not a bad way to do it. To have a year of like living it up, being the man, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and doing and just playing your flute. That sounds. I mean, if you have one year left to live, I mean, spend they, it with beautiful women. Especially back then, probably people didn't live that long to begin with, and life was pretty hard. I think so. It probably, you know, I mean, I don't know how. The big bummer is that it wasn't like they weren't. They didn't select to do this themselves. They were they were war captives, so that's you know yeah that's, that's a problem. Yeah, but yeah, that was my research. That would have been interesting too. Would you have felt different about Magiano and Joy if they had been treated like really well for the first twelve years? Because they weren't. They were like starved and like you know they were already suffering. I would still feel bad for them. Yeah. I mean, I would still feel bad for them for sure. But I wonder if it would have changed any you know. They probably wouldn't have wanted to escape as much if they had no idea they were going to be sacrificed yeah. and they were treated really well. Exactly. Oof. Um, the other thing I researched was um, I researched the people's names because in the Rose Society, there was that moment where they they choose the name the, the Rose Society because they said names give power to ideas. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, oh, maybe the characters' names have some significance and I didn't find a whole lot, but uh, the one that I thought was kind of interesting was Enzo. So that is short for um, either Vincenzo, which means conqueror or victory. Or it could be short for Lorenzo, who was the ruler of Florence during the Renaissance. And he was known as Lorenzo the Magnificent. Hmm. And I kind of liked that because he's like the king, yeah. essentially. I mean, he's trying to reclaim his throne. The rightful, yeah. The rightful king. So, and, and it takes place in Italy during the Renaissance or, you know. So I thought that was kind of a cool tie-in. Yeah. And then the only, oh, and then um, Gemma means precious stone. 
which I thought kind of reflected on how her father really cherished her, even though she was Malfetto. Like, you know, he he treasured her as his daughter, despite yeah. her imperfections. And then um, Maeve, that name comes from an Irish legend, and it's the name of a warrior queen, which I kind of thought was fitting. Fitting, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then um, Sergio means servant, which hmm. kind of makes sense because he's always, he's like Adelina's mercenary. He's her most faithful servant. And Maggiano is the origin of the word magic we learned in the book. So I'm sure that's true. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, didn't he say that he chose his name after a fishing village? Yeah. Where he was going to meet the girl, meet Joy. That's yeah. where they were supposed to go because he had never had a name before. I know. They didn't name the kids because they were going to sacrifice them. Well, but that's also just a form of, like, um, torture in some way, right? Like, having a name, having an identity yeah. is such a human thing, I think. Yeah, I totally agree. But you know how they say things like, you know, don't name that chicken, we're going to eat it. Or, like, you know, like, if you, if you give it a name, you'll get attached. <laughs> don't name your goat Beyonce. <laughs> if you bring a lobster home, don't name it if you're planning to eat it. <laughs> that's true. But names are kind of weird in general. It's basically like, here's a sound I want you to make to get my attention. Whatever sound creates your name is just like this is how you can call me <laughs> yeah i actually just finished reading the king killer chronicles have you read that I, I haven't read it but i think i have it in my bookshelf somewhere oh okay i mean it's i really really enjoyed it i like just finished it it's a lot of it is about the power of names and how important it is to like respect the power of a name so just kind of reminded me of it that is cool what was the name of your very first pet hobbs Oh, like Calvin and Hobbes? Yeah, she was a collie, and her name was Hobbes. And I didn't even know anything about Calvin and Hobbes. Or Hobbes, the philosopher whose Calvin and Hobbes is named after. So Why did you name her Hobbes then? So they actually had her before I was born, but she was my best friend when I was little. The first oh, pet okay. I've named, I guess I came up with the name Riley for our second dog, and I named Toby, who's oh. my first pet. Oh, I named my... My first, like, pet that was mine, I had two goldfish that I wanted a state fair and then didn't die two days later, so we decided that I should, like, buy food in a bowl for them. Um, what were their names? I named them Oswald and Inswald. Because <laughs> I thought Oswald was a funny name, and then I thought, like, Oswald and Inswald, and so I did Oswald oh and Inswald. <laughs> that is really... How old were you? Because that's, like, a really clever name for a kid to come up with. I was in, like, middle school. I think I was in, like, 7th or 8th grade. That's amazing. Yeah. What about you? What was your first pet name? Um, my, f- my first pet was also a goldfish, and his name was Slippy. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm from Pittsburgh, and I don't, that's, instead of slippery, we always say Slippy, so I had Slippy the fish. I like it. Yeah. He was a great pet. <laughs> oh. Names are, I just went to a graduation. Uh, my boyfriend's stepbrother just graduated high school. And I was obviously paying attention when his name was called, but there were a lot of names of people I didn't know at all. So I was just, like, playing the game of, like, would I name my kid that name? Or, you know, like, observing oh, people's yeah. names and, like, trying to... Or, like, things I couldn't pronounce and trying to guess what they were before they came up. But made the couple hours pass by a little quicker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I can't imagine what naming a human would be like because naming a goldfish was hard enough for me. Well, I also, like... I like naming things that are... Like, that amuse me, right? Like, Oswald the Denswald. <laughs> yeah. But, like, I shouldn't do that to my kid. I also, I have a bad habit of naming other people's kids in my head, like, their future kids. Oh. So, like, 
um, I had a roommate whose last name was Case, and I mm-hmm. was like, you need to name your future kid Justin, and then his name will be Justin Case. <laughs> and I still tell him this all the time. He's not amused, but someday it's going to happen, hopefully. Um, that, that would be really amazing. <laughs> or like I dated someone whose last name was uh, started with an M, and I was like, mm-hmm. oh, if your kid ever ran for school president and their first name was a D, then their slogan could be Carpe DM. Oh, God. <laughs> God, you really do put a lot of thought into this. Like, those are the things I came up with. <laughs> Anyways, I'm weird. That's the moral of the story. <laughs> oh, man. Um, okay. What else do we... <laughs> on, <laughs> on that, that note... <laughs> what else do we want to talk about? Well... I do want to talk about our next book, but I don't know if it's too early yet. All right. What do we want to talk about this book? <laughs> I know. I have this problem where, like, I dwelled on it for a little bit, and now I'm like, okay, I'm ready to move on. Yeah. No, when, uh, they, I think these characters are going to stay with me for a while, though. Yeah. I, I really do hope, or I don't, not hope, I, I don't know. It would be cool if she came out with a couple short stories at some point. I think she said she is going to. Did she? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, she did. I don't know what they're going to be about, but... Because I'm also just curious to see how things are later. Oh, you mean like what, where are they now? Yeah. Ten years later? Exactly. Well, let's make some predictions. What do you think, where do you think they are in ten years? I mean, they told us a little bit, but like, you know, so Lucent is like the official wife of the queen or whatever. Mm -hmm. But like, I don't, do either of them ever want kids? Or like, are they ever going to, you know, or I don't, like, there's just like a lot of things that I feel like... We're kind of surface level at the end, which makes sense. And like Raphael, LA, what is he doing now? He's advising. Uh, he's advising. But I kind like, of hope that's not very. I hope that he maybe like opens up uh, a line of hair care products or something. <laughs> I don't know. I hope he does something bigger than that. Kind of. No, I mean, I mean, I'm sure he will. I hope he meets someone though, because I don't like that. I kind of want to see them after they lost their powers. Like, how does he deal with like not being able to pick up on what everyone's thinking and feeling all the time? Like, how does that change? Yeah, in his perception of himself in the world, or you know, like Lucent, like you know, maybe she used to never have a bad hair day because the wind never messed up her hair, and now she does. <laughs> or I don't like <laughs> just like little things. I mean, I feel like. The only one who really should be happy to be rid of her power is Adelina. Like, as soon as they were like, okay, you have to give me your power, I'd be like, here, take it, please. But for the others, I mean, yeah, I think I could imagine it would be hard for them to adjust without having these superpowers. I would think Maves would be an easy one to give up, though, after. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. It is, it is funny, like, how different. Like, I'm just curious to see what they, how they adjusted to that. I also really, I hope that, I want Raffaele to meet someone, because he's the only one at the end who doesn't really have, he's not, like, paired up with someone. Yeah. And that made me sad. Yeah, but I also feel like he, well, it would be interesting now that he, he can't read people, he doesn't, like, owe them anything, and he's maybe lost some of his, like, unique beauty. Like, I'm sure he's still beautiful, but not, like, you know... Yeah, I feel like that would be easier, though, to love someone because they wouldn't they wouldn't think that you were tricking them. No, I feel like it would be the first time you could have, like, a real relationship. Yeah. No, yeah, I 100% agree. Yeah. Or even to see, like, Magiana, like, pursued by some other girl and be like, no, I like the girl in the stars. But it's like, okay, whatever. Oh, poor guy. I just feel so bad for him. <laughs> I also, I kind of wanted to see her, 
redeem her, like she did redeem herself I think in a lot of ways by switching her life but it also would have been interesting to see how losing the voices losing her sister going through that whole experience how she might have come out of it a better ruler or a more relatable person you know like yeah. to see her transformation through that journey manifest itself in like a legitimate way could have been really interesting I agree yeah because It would have been a long road for her, I think, to repair the damage she had done. And doing that one grand gesture really proved to the others that they had misjudged her. Yeah. And, you know, it would have taken a lot longer for her to get there with them if she ever would. It would also be interesting to see, like, as a short story, like, Maggiano at Violetta's wedding or something. Because I'm sure he's got to, like, have, like, really mixed feelings about her. That she even exists. And to just, you know, like, I can just imagine, like, being at the wedding of the person who took the life of your, like, beloved. <laughs> I mean, you, not mm-hmm. took her life, but, you know, like, who exists because your beloved no longer does, or whatever. Like, Yeah, it would be hard not to resent her and Sergio's happiness. Not to be like, oh, good for you. Yeah. <laughs> good for you. I'm going to be staying up until midnight. I know. I'm, like, I'm sad to let these, these characters go. But we can talk about our new series now. <laughs> okay. If you want. Well, I'm just, I'm excited because I got it, I dug the book out of my bookshelf and, you know, I'm just excited now. I am too because I have not read this series yet. I wish there was more to read about the young elites, but since there's not, I'm ready to just jump into something else. And I think this is going to be, and we talked about this a little bit, but um, we said at one point, like, the Lunar Chronicles may have been a little bit more traditionally female, like, focused, or like, a lot of the guys I know who've read this series are big fans, so I think that it will be kind of a cool thing to read. Yeah. Well, honestly, I, I'm feeling like a little bit nervous about doing this series because I think it is out of the two, out of the two we've read, I think it is the most popular series we've, we're going to read so far. Um, just cause like everyone I've asked, none of them have read the Lunar Chronicles or the Midnight Star and everyone I talked to has read this series. Really? Yeah. The only people I know who've read this are people I've told to read this. Oh, Okay. Well, that makes me feel better because I was like feeling a lot of pressure because I was like, oh my gosh, there's a huge fan base. I tell a lot of people to read it, so now a lot of them have. But okay. um, Well, let's announce what it is. <laughs> okay, yeah. So we are going to read Red Rising. Um, it's a trilogy. They're called Red Rising, Golden Sun, and Morning Star, which I think is funny because you just read Midnight Star. Mm-hmm. But it's by Pierce Brown, and the main character is a male, which is a first for us as well. Oh, that's true. We haven't had a male protagonist yet. Yeah. So, do you want me to read the back of it? Go for it. Okay, this is the first book in the trilogy. His wife taken, his people enslaved, driven by a longing for justice and the memory of lost love, Darrow will stop at nothing to bring down his enemies, even if he must become one of them to do so. For the first time, Red will rise. (laughs) Dun, dun, dun. I'm so excited. I got it from the library. I got all three from the library, so I'm probably going to have some hefty fines. But I'm very (laughs) excited to start this book. And just for the record, at least in my paperback copy, there is a map in the front. Because sometimes I forget that those are there. Oh, hold on. I'm I'm holding it right now. I love when there are maps in the beginning of books. I kind of have a fantasy of, like, having maps of all my favorite fantasy novels blown up and hung on my wall as artwork. I feel like we've talked about this before. I feel like our friend Viz talked about how that should be like a job that someone has to, that people would buy that. He did. You're right. Cause he got me, um, the one of 
the Jurassic Park island. Oh, cool. Yeah, he got me, um, what is it? Island Nublar. Yeah, he got me an Island Nublar map for a wedding gift, which is really great. I love maps in general. Like, I already love, like, real maps, let alone maps of worlds that I wish I could live in. Like, especially the maps that have little monsters in them. Those are my favorite. (laughs) Always good. Um, So, okay, so we said that we are going to read up through... Up through chapter 25, right? Yep. So if you're reading the paperback version, stop on page 195 where it says chapter 26, Mustang. Or keep reading, but you can listen to us at that point and we won't spoil anything <laughs> for you. We will try our best not to spoil anything. I've actually been really good about not reading ahead because I know I will spoil something if I do. Well, that's why sometimes I'm like, can we do it earlier? Yeah. So I can keep reading. <laughs> like, a couple times we've recorded a little bit earlier because I'm like, I need to keep reading. <laughs> That's how you know it's a good book. Yeah. Okay. Um, are you going to tell me a joke this week? I am. Okay. So this is kind of a, we t- you know, I did research on constellations and it kind of, the last book ended there. And then this next series takes place like in space, like it starts on Mars. So I was look- I was thinking about space jokes. So that's where this comes mm-hmm. from. Great. Okay, so how does the man in the moon cut his hair? Oh, something about cheese? Eclipse it. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. It's really good. I was really entertained by that one. This is my second favorite one. What do you call an alien with three eyes? I don't know. An alien. <laughs> Get it? Like alien with three eyes. <laughs> Anyways, you got two for the price of one today. So those are your jokes. <laughs> Oh, man. Thank you so much. <laughs> I always love your jokes because I love dad jokes and it's like it it fills me with immense joy to hear to like add more dad jokes to my list of dad jokes in my head. I need to tell you more of my jokes that I have trouble getting through because I start laughing even though they're not funny partway through. So, oh no, you have to tell me those in the podcast because that was like one of my favorite episodes. I was I almost peed my pants <laughs> during that episode. I was laughing so hard. And they weren't even funny jokes. They're hilarious. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there. Oh. Anything else from your end? I think I'm good. Okay. On that note, bye, bookworms. Get reading. Go get... Oh, what'd you say? I said get reading. <laughs> oh, bye, bookmarks. <laughs> the wolf pack <laughs> out. Oh, I'm just saying goodbye. Wolf pack signing out. Go get a library card. <laughs> M&K Talk YA is produced and edited by Marissa Snyder and Katie Bradford. Original music composition by Timothy Milkey. Logo design by Marissa Snyder. For updates and extras, visit mnktalkya.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And if you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. We would like to thank James Tobias, Chad Snyder, Meredith Kelfie, and Michael Howard for all of their support. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.